As Pastor Kyle uh, mentioned earlier, people asked Jesus a lot of questions. 183, to be precise. Of these, he only gives direct answers to three of them. More often, he answers folks' questions with more questions. 307, according to the people who count these things. In this case, Jesus is being questioned by a higher temporal authority, the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem, leader of the Sanhedrin, the governing religious body who doesn't take kindly to his typical evasiveness. In fact, one of the nearby guards punches Jesus in the face for his trouble. This may seem like an odd text, a defensive one even, to read before questioning the pastors. <laughs> but as Jesus tells the high priest, his earlier preaching ought to speak for itself. Similarly, I would hope that you all have a somewhat decent sense of what we believe, having listened to our reflections in the pulpit for so long. That said, if there is anything that we can clarify, we'll try to give you a direct answer insofar as we can, with the usual caveat that we don't have all the answers, only ideas, beliefs, and perspectives. Personally, I'm just glad this is a friendlier audience than the Sanhedrin. And if you don't like our answers, well, please don't hit us. A reading from John 18, 19 to 23. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. If I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. that we've received both online this week as well as this morning, just now, and uh, she will be posing them uh, to us at her discretion. It's hard to decide. There are a lot of good ones. Um, we'll, start with, we'll start with an easy one. What is your happiest time of the church year? Hmm. Happiest time of the church year. There are so many joyful uh, occasions throughout the year, but I, you know, I would probably say, uh, if I had to choose, um, I'd probably say Rally Day, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, soft pitch. <laughs> um, 
September 10th, we'll be uh, kicking off the church year and having a big celebration, uh, courtesy of our uh, Connections Committee and a lot of volunteers that make it happen. Um, it's really just a great celebration in the life of the church as, you know, folks who have been traveling for the summer and, you know, have uh, maybe not been able to attend in person as often all come back together. Um, things really pick up again, light up again. Uh, church really springs to life. Although I will say it's been a great summer. Um, and it, it certainly doesn't feel lifeless uh, by any stretch. But uh, yeah, looking forward to the big celebration in a couple of weeks. I guess I'll, I'll say I have not been to a rally day yet, um, but I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I, I, I'd say um, not having been through a full year here, um, my favorite time in the week of church is this worship time. It just feeds my soul. So I just love our worship. So. Great. Um, we have questions that are one directed at Kyle and one for Seth um, related to the Bible. So Kyle, um, besides Jesus, what character in the Bible do you think has a really interesting backstory that you would recommend we explore? Oh, I, th I think it's, it's got to be Mary Magdalene. I love Mary Magdalene, and um, there's some interesting new research on uh, John 11 that, like, where where the early scribes crossed out Mary, who they think Mary Magdalene uh, was, and put in Martha, and um, and they think that um, Magdalene was not like where Mar Mary was from, Magdala, but. It, it means the tower. So Peter was the rock, and Mary was the tower. Um, so she just sparks my imagination a lot. Thank you. All right, this one is for you, Seth. Why are the prophets in the Old Testament listed as major or minor? This is actually a multi-part question. Let's start with that one. Oh, is my... Yeah. Did you couldn't hear? You got me on, guys? And it goes on to ask, which book in the Old Testament would you recommend to a member of this congregation and why? Oh, um, well, my understanding of the major and minor prophets uh, largely has to do with the length of the book. You know, the, the minor prophets tend to be very, you know, brief uh, expositions compared to the so-called major ones. As for um, Old Testament books that I would recommend, um, well, you know, I've, I've always loved uh, the, the, the Hebrew Bible, as we generally call it now, um, even though it has a lot of problematic texts. Um, it's just, it's, it's such a great repository of stories. The stories are just uh, amazing. And it's helpful if you can read them with a critical eye and not, you know, have to worry constantly about like, oh, you know, did God do this? Did God really do that? You know, my, my reading... This is a little more elaborate than you asked, but my, my reading of those texts really um, is that uh, these are all interpretations, ancient interpretations of God's action in the world, right, which I don't necessarily agree with, um, those interpretations, but they do have a lot of great stories. Um, that being said, I, you know, the one I tend to prefer or that speaks to me the most and that I think I would recommend to folks is probably uh, Ecclesiastes, um, which is one of the wisdom texts. Um, 
And that, that actually doesn't have really any stories in it, uh, ironically, but it's just, um, it's a very, strikes me as a very raw and honest um, interrogation of life and life's troubles and problems and, and frustrations and sorrows uh, and joys. Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's a person, supposedly King Solomon, really wrestling uh, with all of the big questions that we all wrestle with and struggle with, some of which may come up this morning. Um, and, uh, and it's just a really unflinching uh, kind of look at them that doesn't offer any pat or easy answers, um, but really forces us to, to struggle with the questions. That's a great segue. <laughs> How do you reconcile your belief in God with the terrible events in the world? In Exodus, God gets our hopes up with a tale of intervention and deliverance. But day to day, it seems maybe our only way to free the exploited and oppressed is to support legislation. This is a question that weighs on the heart of the questioner. Mm. You want to take a first shot at it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, from the beginning, it's been a fallen world. That's kind of what the whole of the Bible tells us, right? We live in a fallen world. Um, And uh, a writer I like, Barbara Brown Taylor says, you know, when you, you read about miracles, the problem with reading about miracles is it makes you want one of your own. (laughs) And you don't always get one, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I believe that the story, the Exodus story is telling us a deeper truth than maybe what really happened. Did Jesus part the Red Sea or, um, send locusts or whatever? Um, but, um, what it's telling us is that God liberates that, that maybe not as we would like to have it, maybe not through a miracle that we would choose out of our Sears you know, catalog, um, but, but that the, it's testimony that God does liberate, that God does um, uh, you know, eventually um, head us toward uh, a freedom and a life. Um, and so I guess that would be my question or my answer. I, um, I would add that God liberates through, through us and through people, much as, much as God liberates via Moses and other characters in the Bible. Right. Um, and you know, part of that is the ability to choose and, and, you know, the whole notion of free will that I think really creates a great deal of the suffering in the world, frankly. We create a lot of the suffering in the world, almost all of it, really, um, directly or indirectly. Um, and so the question then becomes, I guess, you know, why doesn't God intervene? Why, why does God let these terrible things happen? Well, you know, it's interesting when, when a when a kid uh, suffers for one reason or another, um, 
that doesn't make us question their parents' love for them. Um, and you know, some would say, well, God's supposed to be omnipotent, right? A parent isn't. You know, a parent would take that suffering away if they could, and that's probably true, but I don't know that they should, right? Um, because if a parent took away every child's pain, um, every pain that their child felt, that child would never grow, uh, would never learn, you know, would never mature. Um, and I don't know why we're all here on this material plane uh, necessarily. It could be, you know, the, uh, the result of some cosmic fall. It could be part of the plan. Um, but I think that uh, God doesn't intervene uh, in things directly, at least not often, um, because I do think we're here to learn and grow and mature spiritually. I believe that's what's the, the, the meaning of life. I, I would say that's it. Thank you. How many more do you, do you want to take? A couple more? Oh, yeah, we got, we got, we got plenty we got of time. We're, we we, we're, we're going to get more than what you thought in. It's good. <laughs> um, okay, so here's one um, maybe related to some of the popular movies that we've seen this summer, but also very present in our society. How would God and Jesus address the impact of patriarchy? on both women and men. Well, I can't speak for God, but I can talk about patriarchy. <laughs> uh, I don't know, did y'all see Barbie? Some of you saw Barbie, yeah. Um, I, I love what somebody wrote on Facebook or something saying, like, I took my 11, 12-year-old to see it, and as we were walking out, he said, Mom, what's patriarchy? <laughs> so it did what it was supposed to do, right, is to get us thinking about um, what patriarchy is. I think it, it, patriarchy is a, is a um, thread that runs through our, has run through our culture and still does. Um, and um, just like, I don't know, racism or all kinds of isms, they put certain glasses on us as we look at the world. Um, and so um, what we know is in Genesis, um, God's pronoun is they. Um, we know that we're made in God's image, male and female. Um, we know that uh, it wasn't, I, I believe it wasn't God's purpose um, to, um, to uh, make one gender um, above another. Um, and we know Jesus um, made a point out of women disciples and, um, and seeing women um, in... Um, in all their strength and all their capabilities. Um, and so I, I take a lot of, um, uh, I guess, a, a lot of um, importance in, in that as a woman. Um, and even Paul said, there is no slave or free, no male or female, no um, Jew nor Greek. We are all one in Christ. 
what I would say. I would add that um, patriarchy is really just another form of control and domination, right? And, and sadly, you know, human beings as a, as a whole, as a collective, seem to veer towards systems of domination. Um, you know, whether that's out of, uh, you know, a, a more malicious need to subvert other people or whether it's out of a fear of, you know, not having enough or, or um, and needing to, to kind of cling to resources and power, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that is the tendency that, that we've exhibited as a, as a people. Um, and I think Jesus was very uh, against, uh, stood against all forms of d dominion um, and domination and subjugation. Um, and sadly, you know, the world we live in today really isn't much different. I mean, I talk about it all the time. There's all kinds of exploitation and oppression happening at all levels. Um, and um, patriarchy is, is yet another uh, unfortunate reflection of that. But as, as Pastor Kyle said, you know, Jesus really made a point of empowering women in his, in his circle and in his midst. Um, and I think a lot of that was sort of systematically removed after the fact uh, from the narrative. Um, you know, women are sort of, their names are taken out, um, their, their role diminished, um, and, uh, you know, that's because, the, the, of course, the early church was all run by men and, and uh, you know, continuing to try to control the narrative and uh, dominate others. So our call as Christians, I think, is to really work again towards the great equalization in a sense and really strive against exploitation and domination in all of its forms. Okay, thank you. Got a couple more. Um, how do you feel about the thought, everything happens for a reason or it was God's will? I how do I feel about those things? I, I feel like that's um, like the worst thing anyone can say to anybody uh, who is really, really hurting. Um, I, there are probably times where that might um, feel like a bomb um, to something, somebody, but I think most of the time it's, uh, it's just like speaking for God um, and putting God in a box and trivializing um, people's pain and suffering. I think it's often stated as God has a plan. Um, and, and my response to that is always, I don't believe that God has a plan, but I believe that God has a will. The difference being the, the plan sort of lays out a series of events, right? Like this is what's gonna happen, and it's, this happened for a reason. This happened so that this could happen. There's a great, there's a great, uh, speech in uh, Candide from Voltaire where uh, Pangloss the philosopher is talking about, you know, um, uh, he's trying to justify um, syphilis, I think, uh, which he has. <laughs> and, and he goes on this long sort of convoluted explanation where it ends that like, um, because of all this, we now have chocolate. Um, <laughs> and therefore, it was all worthwhile, you know. <laughs> 
basically, you know, we, we, we contracted this from, you know, the New World, et cetera, but then because of our travels there, we got these plants, and now we have, now we have chocolate, so, you know, my nose is falling off, but I have a candy bar, so that's great. Um, and so that's like God has a plan, right? Um, God has a will is, is the way I think that God would like us to respond and behave in a given circumstance, right? Like, God has a will for us to be uh, compassionate. God has a will for us to be kind. God has a will for us to be hopeful. Um, uh, God has a will for us to be loving, all those kinds of things. So that when, you know, disaster strikes, um, again, there's a great line in Ecclesiastes that says, um, like, like uh, fish caught in a net or birds caught in a cruel snare, uh, time and chance happen to them all. Uh, so it is for humans when, when catastrophe strikes. Um, so, no, I don't, think, I don't think God, you know, uh, ordains our misery or says you're going to get cancer or you're, you know, going to die in an accident, you know, um, or whatever. Um, but that rather has a will for how we navigate those situations uh, and to do so with love and compassion for each other. Okay, I've got two more. This one's a quick one, and it's, it was meant for Seth, but I'm curious about both of you. Are golden retrievers your favorite kind of dog? So I think my wife asked this question. <laughs> she told me I know it when I heard it. Um, <laughs> and I think it's a test. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, <laughs> absolutely. I will say I was never much of a dog person until we got uh, our golden retriever, and um, uh, she's she's made a convert out of me. I I adore her. I uh, I just like dogs, you know. I I've not, haven't. Well, that's not true. I was about to say <laughs> I've never been a dog I didn't like. There's probably been some dogs I don't like, but um, I have a, a, a eight-year-old Great Dane who's. Um, who's on her way out. She's in doggy hospice oh. right now, so. Um, but yeah, I like golden retrievers too. Like what's not to like, right? Exactly. Okay, this is a good one to close. Um, what church initiative are you most excited about in the coming year? What church what? Church initiative. Initiative. I'm really excited about all the uh, stuff that the green team is doing. Um, it's really, uh, a great group of folks that have been doing a lot of good work. I'm excited about the Eden Project and all the vegetables we've been growing. I'm excited, uh, although I don't fully understand it, but I'm excited about the more technical aspects of uh, electrifying our building and, and helping others to do so in their homes. We're gonna have some adult ed on that in the fall. Um, and uh, it's, it's good to see, uh, you know, kind of the church rising to the challenge of mitigation and adaptation in, uh, in a changing world. So I'm excited about that. Awesome. Me too. <laughs> um, yeah, we're working on a, some adult ed, one of the initiatives. I, I'm, I'm hoping that um, now that we're um, going to one service that we will um, have a dedicated uh, adult ed time right after service so that people will just kind of have that as part of their routine. Um, but we haven't really announced it yet, but I'm just looking at Michelle and saying, can, I, can we talk about this? Um, Michelle has been really wanting to um, uh, have us uh, be part of a project that is 
called uh, Royalties for Spirituals, for Negro Spirituals, um, wherein um, uh, we pay royalties for spirituals um, to some organization in the, um, uh, in the community that we partner with. So we're just sort of right at the very beginning for this because I see it as an opportunity for us to open the, the topic of um, anti-racism and, um, and like learning about it and uh, partnering with other, um, other uh, community organizations that, are, um, that can help us to learn and uh, grow and so that we can do justly. So I'm excited about that. Um, you'll hear more about it as the year goes by. Okay, if your question didn't get answered, think about sending a message or talking with the pastors afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I would always add, you know, happy to meet for coffee, happy to answer emails, happy to chat on the phone, any uh, thoughts or questions you may have, always happy to engage. So thank you all. <laughs>